Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, thank you so much, band, uh, for leading us this morning right into his very presence. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Thank you for choosing to be here today. I thought I was coming to have a good day, but it turned out, I don't know. I walk in the door. Somebody says to me, hey, Mr. Rogers. (laughs) And then they broke into, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be my neighbor? You should have tried out for Mr. Rogers. I was like, he was, that show was back in the 60s, wasn't it? Anyway, so I made a few enemies today, but uh, other than that, I'm doing. Uh, For those who mentioned already, those who are here for the first time, great to have you. And for those who are returning back, uh, and uh, we are currently in a series called Um, at our core. We began that last week. What we're doing over the next couple of weeks is we're talking about who we are and why we do what we do. We're spending time trying to understand the mission of the church and the values that help live out that mission that we have. We want to understand what is our DNA? Who are we at our very core? We try our very best to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing around here is all about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. And over the past 82 years, that mission has never changed. We've said it many different ways, but the mission itself remains untouched. We connect people to Jesus because we ultimately believe, we truly believe that the most important relationship anybody can have is a relationship with Jesus. And then we follow up that statement with connecting people one to another. Why? Because we know, we know life is better when we do it uh, together. Uh, If you were here last week, or if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go on and and, uh, listen to last week's service so you know why connecting people to Jesus is so important to us. And today we're going to be talking about why connecting people one to another is so important to us. I mean, why is that part of our DNA? Why is that what we're all about? I mean, there's so many causes in this world that are great causes and things that you can get passionate about. Why is this so important to us here at Temple Baptist? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. For those who might be our guests, last week and this week's message really helps uh, you'll even to understand what we're all about as a church, what motivates us as a congregation. Last week, we we learned that saving faith connects us to Christ. But to keep that connection burning alive, it must involve being connected to one another as Christians. Because we are not designed, we are not created, we are not equipped, by the way, to do life on our own. We need Christ, yes. But we also need one another. Like, we need one another. You know, sometimes we say, well, I, I need church. People say, I, I need to get some church. When we refer to church, we never refer to the mortars and the bricks and the wood of the building. When we refer to the church, in fact, in the New Testament, the ecclesia, it's the gathering of people. That's what we need. In fact, the primary, the primary activity of the early church was all about, it's not even a word, but I'm going to make it a word. It was all about one anothering. One another, purely relational, 
Hey, Paul, do you want to tell us what the church is all about? He would go on to tell you it's all about one another. In fact, I listed a bunch of verses down here. In Colossians 3, bear one another. Uh, Galatians 6, restore one another. Romans 5, accept one another. Galatians 6, care for one another. Hebrews 3, encourage one another. Ephesians 5, submit to one another. Do you see that? Now, I worked really hard. The first service was not impressed. So I'm just giving you a heads up. Please be impressed. I worked so hard. How can I help them remember this? And so look at the first letters. I spelled out braces. Yeah, that's about the same response I got in the first service. I worked hard on that. So you remember that. Braces. It's too late. I'm joking. Then it goes on to saying, carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6. Ephesians 4, forgive one another. Uh, John 13, 34, love one another. Notice I spelt CFL right there too. <laughs> Trying to help you. Remember all these things. Listen, after the Gospels, once you read through the Gospel, the Bible is all about one another. In fact, in John 13, 34, Jesus says, or 35, by this everybody will know that you're my disciple. How? By the way, you love one another. Everybody's going to know who you are and what you're all about by the way you love one another. It will have nothing to do with the way you worship. It will have nothing to do with the way you do communion. It will have nothing to do with the way you do baptism. It will have nothing to do with how long you preach. It will have nothing to do with the lights that you use. No, people know that we're a disciple of Christ by the way that we love one another. It's all about loving one another. In fact, the hallmark, the hallmark of a follower of Jesus is how we get along with each other. It's how we get along with each other. And I understand sometimes, you know, we get a little irritated <laughs> with each other. And sometimes we use tones and maybe a little bit of accusations. And, and, uh, and sometimes they get festered. And, and all of a sudden they grow to be something really big and out of control. And, and, and we try to be a witness for Christ. And, and then people see how we, how we respond to each other and go, I don't think I want to be part of that family. I thought, I thought a mark of someone who loved Jesus was the way you loved one another. In fact, I, I, I've said this many times, sometimes I get astounded by some of the things that I know that are followers of Jesus. You know, some of the things that maybe they'll put on uh, social media. Oh, that idiot, <laughs> right? Oh, that politician or this. And I'll go, whoa, remember, <laughs> one of the hallmarks of a Christian is the way we love one another. It's how we treat one another. And on Sunday morning, it's hard to do one another. It's hard to do one another because we're in rows and we know that when you do one another, it's a lot better when you do it in circles. That's why we're such uh, strong believers of, of small group, getting connected in a circle with people, eye to eye. And seeing the emotions and being able to build into each other's lives. In fact, it's not anything about, uh, it's not a secondary thing. It is a primary. Because you and I already know that circles are better than just rows. One another, one another is far better when someone is going through cancer. 
One another is so much better when somebody's going through a divorce. One another is so much better when someone's just celebrating a baby. One another is so much better when you receive the news that you've just lost your job. One another is so much better when you find out that your child has a terminal illness. One another is so much better when you have a prodigal child. That is the business the New Testament talks about. One another. The early church um, couldn't meet like what we meet here today. All they had was each other. In fact, it was unprecedented in the first century to have mutual respect for one another. It was the defining uh, force of the church and it grabbed the attention of those who knew nothing about Jesus by the way these Christ followers Treat it one another. That's what grabbed their attention. One another. It has nothing to do with me stri- putting a mic on my ear here. That's not one another. Because it doesn't happen in rows. That's much better in circles where we become accountable to each other as we work through sometimes relational issues. And that is where the body of Christ functions at its best. When we get this right, There's nothing like it. I believe it captured the attention of the world once. Why couldn't it grab the attention of the world again? By the way that we love one another. We're not designed. We're not created to do life on our own. We're created to do it together. We need each other and God's plan for us was to do life together because we were never born to be an only child in the family of God I I heard the story uh, of a pastor who who went to visit a church member who had been hadn't been around for a very long long time and so the pastor said I'm, I'm just going to go and, and visit and he went it was a cold night and he knocked on the door and and the gentleman opened the door and invited him in and set the pastor next to the fireplace and and after a few pleasantries the pastor pleaded with him to understand the connection the importance of connection uh, with one another and and nothing that he said made a difference the pastor just became a little frustrated, like, Lord, I don't know what else to say. And he looked over his shoulder and saw the fire and walked over to it and got on his knees and just kind of opened the screen and took the tongs. And one by one, he began to separate the coals until none of the coals were touching each other. And of course, it wasn't long before the fire went out and the room got cold, and the point was made. We need each other. Uh, To say that I got Jesus, which is absolutely essential, I got Jesus, I don't need anyone else in my life, actually is not biblical. Yes, we need Jesus. We need that vertical relationship. But the Bible says we need each other in our lives. To say, oh, I love Jesus, I just don't like those church people. And I, sometimes I understand why people say that, like, oh, they drive me crazy. But we're told to love one another. 
In fact, Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3. We're not going to look at it right now. I have another passage we're going to look at. But in Galatians chapter 3, it says, By faith you are a child of God. But listen up, Paul says, you're not an only child. You're part of the family. You've got brothers and sisters in the family. And everyone, he goes on to say, everyone who belongs to, to Christ belongs to everyone who belongs to Christ. And if we're in Christ, that means we belong to one another. Apostle Paul goes on to say there's neither um, a Greek or a Jew or a slave or free or male or female. In fact, uh, in, in this particular time, in this first century here, uh, people would pray, oh God, thank you that I am not a Gentile. You know, oh God, thank you that I am not a woman. Oh God, thank you that I'm not a slave. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, no, no, no. There's, no, there's not that kind of distinction in the body of Christ. We're one. We're part of a family. And I understand sometimes the family members look a little different. Maybe think a little different. Sometimes act a little different. But we're family. And we can be very unified despite the diversity of the family. So I've always found it interesting. How is it that we can work together in the same place, we can go to the same school, we can uh, eat at the same restaurants, but we can't worship together? How is that? Why is that? The hallmark of a follower of Jesus is how we love one another. That's why Paul says there's not going to be a Jew and a Gentile and a male and a female. He goes, no, we're one in Christ. And in that same, actually, chapter of Galatians chapter 3, he goes on to talk about this new home, this new future. Another reason, he says, to get along down here on earth, because there is a future home where those who know Jesus Christ are personally saved, we will spend eternity together. And there actually will no be, there won't be a Jewish section and a Gentile section. There's not going to be like a Baptist Boulevard and a Pentecostal high-rise <laughs> and a Gospel Hall subdivision. And a charismatic crescent. No, we're all going to be, for those who trust Jesus, we'll be in heaven together. For all eternity. So let's practice getting along together now. I'm down here. The church, it's not a place, remember, it's not a place. It is a gathering, the ecclesia, the gathering of people. The church has nothing to do with sitting and soaking and for some maybe getting a little sour. It's not about showing up at a defined time. It's about identifying and functionally serving together, learning how to do life together. I, I, I ran across this cartoon this week. It reminded me of the church. It's an older couple. She says, you told me you'd spend your whole life trying to make me happy. He says, I didn't expect you to live this long. And sometimes I feel like that in the body of Christ, right? Man, I thought that person would be gone by now. Surely they would have moved out of town. I didn't know it was going to be this long that I had to love one another. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn to 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read a few verses from there and talk about this loving one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to pick it up actually in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. 
The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the Bible that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we, we treat with le- uh, special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. You can only maximize your vertical relationship with God when you have a horizontal relationship attachment with others. Let me say that again. You you maximize your vertical relationship with God with your horizontal relationship, a connection with each other. Without it, there begins to be a, a breakdown of the flow of life. I mean, if I chopped off my hand and, and placed it over there, uh, the hand doesn't have any of the, the, the benefits of the body, and the body has no benefits of, of the hand, even though we're in the same vicinity, we're in the same building, we're, like, we're so close. But it doesn't do anybody any good. That's what the Apostle Paul, both lose out well, they're not connected together. God moves through connections. He definitely moves through the vertical connection and a relationship with him. But God moves in the horizontal relationship with family, with one another. I mean, if a child decides to cut off the connection with his brothers and sisters, how can it not affect the relationship, the connection he has with his dad? And I think the same is true in the Christian faith. God desires, yes, a vertical relationship with him. But you, for you to fully, for us to fully uh, experience the life of the body of Christ, we've got to be connected to one another. Because we're part of the body. Being a part uh, of a church is more than just having your name on a roll. Being a part of a church is being a, a functioning member of the body. Just like the physical body works, so does Christ's body. In fact, right there in verse 14, as Paul's talking about, there are, many, like, there are many people here today that make up this one expression of the body of Christ. Now, we have a local body right here. Many of us, 
make up this local body. God fully expressed life of light and love can only be expressed as the body is connected to one another. I want to say that again. God, God's fully expressed life of light and love can only be expressed if the body is connected together. See, some come to church and that's it. They want the benefit of the body, but they don't want the attachment. But you cannot have the benefit of the body without the connectivity of the rest of the body. It is more than just being in the same environment. It's about connecting. In verse 15 of the same chapter, Paul goes on. In other words, he says, if the body says to the rest of the body, uh, you know, I'm not really into this whole body thing. If, one of the bo- if the hand says, I'm not really into the rest of you guys. You create a problem. You create a problem for the body and you create a problem for yourself. In fact, verse 17 of that chapter, Paul goes on to say, God, God is saying it's not all just about us, right? I mean, if you're an eye, that's great. That's great that God's made you an eye. But if we all were eyes, then we wouldn't be going anywhere with no legs and feet. I mean, if we were uh, eyes and, and had no hands, what would we be doing? If we were all eyes and, and we didn't have a mouthpiece to express, what good? See, you and I are part of something that's far bigger. You are an important piece, a critical piece of the body, but only a piece. And that's why we need to be connected. If the body is only the eye, there's a lot of things that we'll never be able to accomplish here in our city and with each other. And so Paul uses the physical body to illustrate an example of the connection needed to do what the body was designed for. Your connection with the body is absolutely critical. It takes the whole body and all of its members to make the whole body work. So if you're out there and you're doing life all by yourself, doing it all on your own, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you find your relationship with God begins to feel a little dry, a little dull, maybe insignificant, because you were designed for connection with each other. The purpose of the church is not just sermons and songs. It's to be in an environment where linkage takes place, where brother to brother, sister to sister, saint to saint. A child of God. The believer who thinks that he doesn't need the family of God thinks he's something more than he actually is. We need each other. And I, and I, think, this, I think this would be true. I think when we don't invest in our connections with others... He limits his connection with us. I mean, if you're a Christian and you cannot connect and invest in other Christians, I think you limit God's flow through you because we're not designed to be only childs in the family. God says, I have a family. We're part of a family. So you need to be linked with the family so you can experience the full manifestation of the Spirit operating in you. Remember when Jesus said, listen, people will know. People are going to know who you are. People are going to know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. 
In other words, when you learn that I loved you and then, and then you share that with other people and then that person shares with somebody else, it begins to, the flow begins to happen. That's how, what we were designed to do. That's exactly what the body was designed and functioned to do at its best. And I actually believe that we experience more of God when we live in such a way where we're connected with each other. So it's absolutely critical for a believer to be connected, to really experience the benefits of others in our lives. In verse 22 and 23, you know what it says there? Verse 22 and 23? It says every single part of the body is important. Not all the body is visible. But there are no insignificant parts of the body. Friday, I had the opportunity, great privilege, to be able to speak to our joy group, which is we often call our super senior saints. Those who have walked with God a long time. And I remember just thinking to myself, sometimes, you know, we get to a certain age that we think, well, maybe our investment is not that important. I'm beyond my abilities to, to be a, a major player. Listen, Everybody plays a part. I, I was just reminding the group. Remember Moses at 80, at 80 years of age, when he should have been thinking of retirement, leads two and a half million people out to the promised land. He was just getting going at 80. There are no insignificant parts of the body. And the parts that are seen are only able to be seen because of the parts that are not seen. I mean, you know, we come and we, we see, you know, instrumentalists and vocalists, and I strap this on my, my uh, ear here, but none of this would happen if it weren't the people working behind the scenes. It'd be just more like this. That's all you would hear. You know, we have people all week long that get stuff ready for the kids' ministry, buying, you know, supplies and having it all ready for the teacher. We see the teacher, but we don't often see all the stuff that goes on behind the scene. Nobody is insignificant. Everybody pars a, plays a part. Not everybody can be the eye. Not everybody can be the hand. But we all have a part to play. There are no big eyes in the family, just little U's in the family of God. And so Paul goes on to say, that don't look down at somebody. Because you, you, we think maybe they're a lesser member. No, no, no. Every single part of the body is important. In fact, the Bible talks about how we treat those who are less than us. He speaks very directly about that. You know, those who maybe can't live in their, the same neighborhood as us, or those who don't wear the name brand clothes in all the time, those who don't have a big, you know, savings account. The Bible talks about how we treat one another. There are no distinctions in the family of God. There are no insignificant members. And a good way to illustrate that is, this happens probably weekly at my house. I'm making my bed, pulling up the covers. I take the turn. I don't know why. It's never moved. It's always there. But I stub my toe on the foot of the bed. You know that leg that's underneath the bed that you don't really see? And it causes you to speak a foreign language? Ah! Right? It's just a little thing. But boy, it seems to cause a lot of frustration for the rest of my body. Or have you ever had your, your, uh, a little nail ripped off your finger? That will shut you down. <laughs> it's so little, it's so insignificant. We think, yet it affects the whole body. The entire body. While it's small, it bears significance. 
And when we become connected to the body of Christ where everybody matters, everybody is significant for the working of the body under the rule of Christ. Now that's church. That's church at its finest. Because church is much more than sermons and songs. Major part is connecting one another. And God's brought you into the family so you can have connection with each other. The less connected you are with the body of Christ, the members, I think the less that we really experience God. Because we get to see that God's faithfulness in other people's lives. We get to see how God works in heartaches of other people. It sometimes strengthens our own faith because of how we see God working in other people's lives. If you are a lone ranger Christian, don't be surprised. Your nearness to God becomes limited. Acts says that when they all came together, the place shook. When the people of God came together, it shook. There's something about when the body of Christ is unified together. It's unstoppable. I think when I think the devil kind of does a, a little clapping of hands when he sees the body full of disunity. Because it keeps God out of the equation. Like, this happens in a lot of churches. I thank the Lord it doesn't happen in this church. But there's a lot of churches where pastors are against the elders and elders are against the deacons and deacons are against the staff and staff are against each other and, and the musicians are against the vocalists and the congregation is against the sound guy. Right? Like, everybody's against something. And I think the devil just says back, well, I don't have to work with that crowd. <laughs> Sometimes I think it keeps God out of the equation. And maybe... I don't know, just maybe. We haven't experienced what we have prayed for for a long time here, a revival in our city, a revival in our country, because maybe the body is not unified and connected together. Because it's not just a personality issue, it is a spiritual issue. Every member is critical and Paul goes on to say right there in 25 and 26, do you know what this is really all about? It's about caring about one another. Why is that so important about caring about one another? Because one person cannot care for everybody. I care about the body of Christ. I care about the church. I can't care for the church or care for the church. I, I care about the church, but how could I care for the church? It's, it's too big. That's why he says we need one another. Everybody connected to somebody. With somebody to, uh, to everybody so everybody can be cared for. This week I, I read this story. I, I've read it before, but for some reason it just stuck out to me. It was in 1 Samuel chapter 23. David, before he becomes king, um, he's running for his life. Many of us know that story. He's been anointed king, but he's not sitting on the throne. And God's anointed him. God says it's chosen him. That's the one. The prophet has anointed him. But he's on the run. And so he has this group, a, a militia, a group of guys that are traveling with him. And he hears that the Philistines have attacked the, the city where uh, the Kalites were. 
and um, he prayed to God. He said, God, should I go down and rescue them? I mean, here, here's a city in Judah. God says, yeah, go. And so David takes uh, his group of guys. They go down, and they, they, they give a, a severe blow to the Philistines. I mean, the Philistines go running. <laughs> they save the city. They save the lives of the people. They take the livestock of the Philistines, and they actually give it to the people in the city. And so now David is there in the city with his men, and Saul gets word that, uh, oh, David's in a walled city. There's no way he'll get out. Let's go down and get him. He won't escape this time. And David prays to God. He says, will the city give me over? Will the Kalites give me over? And God says, yeah, they're going to. And so David takes off on the run with his army. And I think to myself, how is that even possible? There's David who's laid his life down for the city, sacrificed his life, willing to die to protect the city, and now they're going to turn their back on him in just a matter of days. And in 23, verse 16, a statement is made. For some reason, it just struck me on Monday because we're thinking about one another and beating each other's lives. But in, in 23, 1 Samuel 23, 16, it says, and Jonathan came along, Jonathan came along and strengthened David in God. I don't know why, it just struck me. He didn't just come encourage him, pat him, he strengthened him in God. Do you not think, David, I know we love to talk about David, I mean he wrote the Psalms, he, he's, a, he's a heart after God. There are days, you've got to know there are days that David was really low, discouraged, maybe full of despair. I just gave my life to the city and they're going to turn their backs on me? I don't even understand that. I conquered the enemy. I blessed him with all this livestock, and this is how I'm going to be treated. You've got to know that David at times is thinking, God, is this really, is this what you have for me? It's tough being the anointed. I, I think I liked it better when I was just a shepherd boy. Sometimes it's hard to be a Christian living in this culture. Let's be honest. It can be challenging at times. And so when you have somebody that comes along like a Jonathan and strengthens you in God for the challenge that's ahead. That wouldn't have happened if there was no relationship between Jonathan and David, but they had made a connection. They were building each other's lives. The point is, we need each other. There's going to be days that you desperately need somebody in your life. A number of years ago, when I was in Halifax, I, I was asked to do a funeral for a gentleman that nobody knew. He's in the city. Died, I think it was around 73, 74. And I was going to do this funeral. There was no family, no friends. I thought, not connected to anybody? Like nobody in his life? I thought, how, how sad, because we were never designed to live life that way. I mean, we're, we're to be part of the body. And one of the things about being part of the body is the opportunity to strengthen each other in God in our faith. Bottom line. The bottom line is we need we need each other. And that's why our mission is all about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. You and I, we need each other. We can't do this life on our own. We were never designed to do this life on our own. And that's why we say it over and over and over and over again, week after week. 
You want to know what we're about as a church? We're about connecting people to Jesus because we know the vertical relation is absolutely essential. But we also know that the horizontal relationship connecting one another is also essential. That's what we were designed for. Let's pray.